Uh, Open your Bibles, please, to the book of uh, Revelation, chapter 3. Some of you may have noticed this morning that we have shifted, uh, which a, a, a practice that we have had since we began, since we launched Heritage Church. We launched Heritage Church with our 9 o'clock service and uh, having the kids worship with the families. Now, if you prefer that, you're welcome to keep your young ones through worship, and then when we pause, like you did, take them back. They'll receive them. They'll, that will be safe. But we just have come to a place where we realize that kind of just, and you've been here. You know, you some of the people that do transition will be like, oh, yeah, by the way, see you, kids. And it's kind of just see ya. And you may be, that's not necessarily the safest practice for us anymore. That's not safe and smooth and secure. So what we want to do is just continually move to the, a, a place where, where ministry happens in the, in, in, a, where, in the most confident scenarios. And uh, so we thought, you know what, let's, let's, even though we'll just, in terms of our operations, we're going to have the kids start and, start and finish in the same place. That's really going to look different in the fall because you'll, this is so, you're going to have this really cool check-in station back there, and then all the kids will disappear into magical kid land. Free from any weird adult land. Yeah, you don't go to you don't get to go talk to them without a lanyard. It's going to be great. They're going to have their own bathrooms back there, and it's just going to be so great. Okay, but uh, so just keep praying and believe in God, and and uh, we're, we're and, and uh, keep being faithful with the building fund because after this, after phase two, we have phase three. Yeah, phase three is probably I'm really bad at this, but probably a couple million bucks. Probably it'll be, it might be more. I don't know. It depends on what happens because everything, I talk to contractors and they say, if you talk to people one week after you talk to them the first time, they'll just double their price because they can. It's that, it's that kind of market. You know, when people prosper, everybody gets to prosper, but you got to pay more for stuff. Which is one reason why we're doing things now instead of saying, we'll get to it. We'll get to it when it costs four times as much. Have you opened your Bibles? So thankful for our, our, our teams everywhere, ministering to kids and doing the things that they do. Uh, we are leaning into the book of Revelation. We are on the last two of the seven churches. Today we are going to lean into the message that John records from Jesus to the church at Philadelphia. So PowerPoint person, let's click through there. And, and here just, just a quick reminder of where we've been. Okay. We, these are the two main ideas here. Blessed are those who read here and hear these, read here and heed these words, and that's what we're doing. Each of the messages contains this promise that if we have ears to hear, we listen to what the Spirit is saying. So we aren't just studying an historical document. We want to hear from the Holy Spirit this morning. All right, let's keep going. We also need to understand from a context point of view that this book is of and from Jesus Christ. And these first few chapters are all, all contain specific messages to specific churches. But as we have explained, they are intended not only for all of the churches here in the text to read and benefit from, but everyone who ever reads these passages are to read and benefit from what is being said because it is the Spirit who is speaking. Now, we don't necessarily 
try to become one of these cities. We listen to the principles that are laid out and we respond to them. That is heeding these words. Amen. So let's go right now to uh, verse 7 of chapter 3. And I'll read the, the, the whole message to the church at Philadelphia. Then, then we'll talk about it just a little bit. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have, and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan. Well, there's that again. We better pause and remember what we're talking about. Everyone's going to get triggered. Uh, those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hey, Mary, you heard the Bible this morning. I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says, is saying to the churches. To the angel of the church at Philadelphia. Philadelphia, the city, has some interesting aspects. The city had a volcanic soil around it, which made for really neat vineyards. But that same soil, the result of that volcanic activity, also made for some really good earthquakes. And the city had suffered many earthquakes in its history, but in the year AD 17, uh, the city was effectively destroyed by an earthquake. Such a massive earthquake shook the whole place and destroyed it. And the emperor Tiberius arranged, had made arrangements for the city to be rebuilt and to reduce taxes and all that kind of thing. But for 20 years, even after that massive earthquake, there were, there were significant aftershocks that rattled the place. So the, the city really lived in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a mild tension, a concern about structure and safety. Let me just give you a little heads up. That means that a, that a pillar would be significant. Huh? Huh? See what he did there? Revelation's full. John is this guy. He has layers, all of the layers. The church itself in Philadelphia was not large. It was not a huge church, not a... Uh, necessarily a, 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 
influential or powerful. In fact, it, it seemed to be small, but it was prosperous in terms of it, it, it was long-lasting. It remained in Philadelphia for centuries. As we come to the passage, we see that Jesus has no words of correction, no call to repentance for the church at Philadelphia. None of this Jezebel, Balaam, get ready, I'm coming, or watch out, sword out of my mouth kind of stuff. He speaks to them only to affirm them. So now we have opportunity, like we have before, we have opportunity to, to listen carefully so that their encouragement might fuel our faith. It begins once again with the, the, the speaker identifying himself. Jesus, him saying, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. Wow. Hey, there aren't actually in this passage, there aren't any references back to chapter one. Most of the introductions refer to, to the characteristics that were presented in chapter one. This time it's not at all. But the introduction is, is no less significant to the speaker and also to the audience. Ah, golly, it's, it, none, none of this is accidental. And I'm certainly not going, comprehensively analyzing all of the layers of meaning in all of these metaphors and statements. But this one in particular has significant meaning to uh, the church at Philadelphia. He who is holy, who is true. He, Jesus wants them to know who is talking. He identifies himself as the holy one. He is not a subsidiary. He is not a colleague. He is not a lesser than. It's important that Philadelphia knows that. It's important that you and I know that, that Jesus is not a lesser than. This isn't some sort of junior varsity deity speaking here, okay? We don't believe in that nonsense, this sort of gold, silver, and bronze metal trinity nonsense. We, there's a, God has revealed himself in three persons, but it is not for us to start diagramming him and making one less than the other. That's a bunch of nonsense. Jesus said, I am the one who is holy and true. And, and just like so consistently, in fact, the best way to understand Revelation is to know the book of Isaiah. The book of Revelation has more Old Testament in it than, than it has, like, future stuff. It's just, it's there. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 25, listen to this. This, is a, it would be a, this was a, a, a staple passage for the, the, the Jewish believer. Isaiah 40, 25. To whom then will you liken me that I should be his equal, says the Holy one. There's only one holy one. And Jesus says, it's me. Here Christ is identifying himself as God himself. Then he says, he says, he has the key of David and opens and shuts doors with singular authority. I know, I know, that, that makes for fun preaching, doesn't it? That would make for us, I mean, I don't, I'm not opposed to it, but I could say, hey, man, God's going to open a door for you. No one's going to shut that door. He's the, that's all true. Amen. And we can shout and dance and get a Hammond organ out, and it would all be good preaching. But there's a little more to it than that in this passage. Christ says that he has the, the key of David and opens and shuts doors. This is yet another reference to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 22, 22. Listen, listen to this. 
the Lord speaking through the prophet says, Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he, when he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. Now, in the passage, the Lord is speaking to Shebna, a steward who was in charge of the royal household. It would be like the chief of staff who was in charge of the royal household, and he had, he had keys. He had the sing, this steward had the singular authority to grant access to the king. To open the temple, to open the palace, to open it, to open the presence to the king was in the hand of this one. And if he said you could come in, you could come in. If he said you couldn't, nope. But here, what he says, the Lord is speaking to Shebna and saying that he, the Lord, is going to give his job to somebody else, to a person named Eliakim, who will assume stewardship of the authority over access to the temple himself. And the Lord says that this one, Eliakim, he will, quote, have the keys and have, he will have absolute authority to grant or to prohibit access to the kingdom. And then Jesus says in Revelation, I am the one with those keys. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. See, the Christians in Philadelphia needed assurance that Christ himself is the singular access to the kingdom and that he himself has authority over the kingdom of God and to the presence of God himself. They needed to know that. Stay tuned. We'll, we'll lean into it and figure out why. This is, how I, this is how he identifies himself. And then to the church, he tells them this. You have kept. There's basically three keep words that that govern the flow of this passage you have kept i will keep so you keep on that's how the flow will go so you have kept verse 8 he says i know your deeds behold i have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power to and have kept my word and have not denied my name once again, the Lord says to the church, he knows their deeds. He's watching, he's recording, and he's rewarding our works. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And for the Philadelphian believers, he knows their deeds. He knows how they have conducted themselves under, under the conditions that they have endured. Then he says to them, I have put before you an open door. Ah. Many times people have interpreted this all kinds of different ways. And again, it makes for great preaching in principle that the Lord opens doors for us. How many are glad that he does? I believe God's opened a great big door for heritage right in front of us. I believe many of you are staring at big, huge, wide open doors that ain't nobody can shut. Jesus has opened them. All of that's true. It makes for good preaching. But even it makes for even better preaching when we know exactly what he's talking about. And what he says to them is this, specifically, Christ has opened a door to the kingdom itself. Christ has opened a door to the presence of God for the Christians in Philadelphia. And if it's true for them, it's true for you. 
Jesus Christ himself says, I have opened a door. I have given you access to the very presence of God. I have opened the door, says the Lord, and no one can close it. No one can close it on you. You can't do it. Your neighbor can't do it. Your spouse can't do it. Your kids can't do it. The person picking on you can't do it. No one is going to decide that you can't come in because he's the only one with the keys. You need to have assurance that Jesus Christ is the only one, the only one who grants access to the kingdom of God. And he has given access to his church. This is wonderful for us. A wonderful door. It's called a door of opportunity. The opportunity is him. The opportunity is his presence. And no one can shut it. He says, you have little power, but you have kept my word and not denied my name. You ain't big, but you're faithful. You aren't powerful, you're not scary, but you're faithful. Wow. Consider what the Lord measures. He doesn't necessarily measure nickels and noses or budgets or buildings. He does look for faithfulness. Not status, not degree, not achievement, not fame. Faithfulness. Not importance, but loyalty. Wow. The church at Philadelphia has his attention because they kept his word. So then in verse 9, he says, behold, this gives us a little more here. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan. Now, we've talked about that. Synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews, but are not and lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Here's the issue in Philadelphia. The Jewish community in Philadelphia had been oppressing the Christian believers just like those in Smyrna had been. Now, the early, early, early Christians, many of them didn't really see themselves as, they saw themselves as the, as, as the, as the spiritual intended fulfillment of Judaism. This, a godly Jew who finds Jesus Christ doesn't say, oh, I'm no longer a Jew. They see themselves as what I'm, the, the Jew I'm supposed to be. So it, it, I, in hindsight, I realize for us, maybe you think, oh, the minute they found Christ, they're like, well, I'm done being Jewish. I'm going to be a Christian now. No, for them, listen carefully, try to, uh, try to feel this. For them, to be, a, to be a Christian in this context was the right Jewish thing to do. So that's why some of the language still refers to Jews and Gentiles even in the New Testament epistolary literature, because for them, to Jew simply meant to, I'm a follower of God, and now I have found the Messiah, and I'm still in this. And if you have rejected Messiah, then you're still one of them. You're still a Gentile. So these Jewish believers, what do you think they suppose that, that many of them would do on a Saturday, for example? They'd go to synagogue. Why? They've been doing it for decades. That's where their family was. That's where commerce was. That's what you did. They'd go to synagogue. Have a little Hava Nagila. And then, on Sunday morning, they would gather again to honor the resurrection of the Lord. But, 
as you know, remember the, the Rome had given certain uh, permissions to the Jewish community not to be involved in, in emperor worship and given them some exclusions. But the, the Christ-rejecting Jewish community did not want those of the Jewish community or, gent or, or Gentiles that profess Christ to participate in their privileges. So they kicked them out of the synagogue. Can you imagine? I know, if, I know many of you are like, so what? I, I know, because you don't have any frame of reference. But, you know, you, some of you would get your feelings hurt if, if grandma said you couldn't come to, over for Christmas. But this is Christmas. This is, this is what you did every week. This was a part of your identity and your life. They said you can't come. Not only can you not come to synagogue, they actually said you're out and you're out of God's presence. You are kicked out of the presence of God. To be put out of the synagogue means you are put out of the presence. You no longer have access to God. So Jesus says, I have the key. I have the key. And I open the door. I give you access. I'm the Holy One. I decide. And I put before you an open door. And then he says, now those of this, now this is, you can get upset, but it's Jesus talking, so deal with him. Those that, those, those that align themselves against Messiah, he calls the synagogue of Satan. They have now partnered with the purposes of the devil on the earth. And he said, now those people, now he says that, what does that, that, that sound, it says, uh, I will cause them, it says, I will make them come and bow down at your feet. I'll make them know that I have loved you. Again, if you read that, you'd think, what? I'm trying to imagine what that would look like. Once again, we go back to the book of Isaiah. This is another fundamental promise from Yahweh to, the Israel, is, is, to, to Jewish people. Isaiah 60, verse 14. Listen, this is his, the Lord is speaking to the Jewish people about how the Gentiles, the pagans, are treating them. Here's what he says. To the sons of those who afflicted you, Probably the sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing down to you. And all those who despised you will bow themselves at the soles of your feet. And they will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. This was a promise to the Jewish people who were being mistreated by Gentiles. But now the Lord uses this promise to assure the Philadelphian believers that they are following the Holy One and the True One. And that eventually... Everyone will know it. He says, you have kept, now I will keep. First, they had kept his word. Now he says he will keep his promises to them. Verse 10 says, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Again, the church in Philadelphia, they had kept his word. They had kept the word that told them to persevere and to be patient, meaning they had persevered in being faithful and loyal to the word of Christ. And because they had been loyal, because they had been faithful, because they had not abandoned him, they had stuck with him when the going got tough, he will keep them. He will be loyal to them. He will be faithful to them. 
He will not abandon them when the going gets tough. Because there was an hour, Jesus said, there was an hour of testing coming. Now, whether this meant an hour that was approaching for the area of the Roman Empire, or whether this speaks of a larger and much longer eschatological season, that's actually debated. And it's okay to have it debated, because the principle doesn't change. Okay? There were those that say, no, that clearly means the great tribulation, the great big long eschatological event that's still yet to come. Okay. If that's true, what would it have mattered to the church in Philadelphia? They're gone now. Okay. On the other hand, on the other hand, what he's saying seems to have not yet all the way been completed. So what what we're able to do is say, you know what? If we stay with the context that there's that the with the initial audience and the intention of the book, what we all we really need to know is this: the Lord is warning them of a season that was coming, an hour of testing, but that no matter what, He would keep them. He would be loyal to them. He would be faithful to them. He would be present with them. He would be loving to them. He would be near to them. And here's the big news: they should not fear because He will keep them. And now that is the central message of the book of Revelation. Because the truth is, there have been a whole lot of seasons of testing upon the church for many, many, for many, many centuries. Right? The church has gone through stuff over and over again. But the Lord's promise to the church is, I will keep you. I will keep you. And he will keep us in our, in our, tower, in our hour of testing. If, this, if there was this only an hour of testing for the church in Philadelphia, it wouldn't do us any good to read this right now. But the truth is, the message is the same. In the hour of testing, in the hour of trial, God will keep you. Therefore, you should keep on. Someone say it out loud. We should keep on. That's this idea. He said, you should hold fast. This is just, a, just the only nuance of this between the other, the other church is this is written in a different uh, a verb tense. It's a present active imperative. Keep on holding fast. Everybody say, keep on holding fast. So here's the rhythm. You have kept, I'll keep, so you keep on. Verse 11, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He is coming. Somebody say it out loud. He is coming. Now, this meant the pres- this, for some, this meant the present activity of Christ in the churches. He was coming to bring discipline. He was coming to bring deliverance. But it also refers to his ultimate coming for judgment and reward. It is the central message of the book of Revelation. Jesus is coming. This is the message that must drive the church. He's coming. Live like it. If he's coming, then keep on holding fast. Holding fast to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Again, the crown here is not, you know, hail, but, you know, there's not that big, you know, it's not a big kingly crown. It's a crown of laurels. It's a victor's crown. It's a crown that belongs to someone who's finished their race. There's a crown for if you'll finish. Don't let anyone distract you or disqualify you from your race. Keep on. Uh, keep on. Why I, that's why elsewhere in the scriptures, the, the scriptures say, you were running such a good race. What happened? Why did you get in somebody else's lane? 
Why'd you cut a corner? Get back in the race. Well, there's, there's, some, there's some grace on that today. They're right there. Listen, you, if you, you know that get back in the race. It's not over yet. Get back in. Keep running. Why? Because there's a crown. Somebody say out loud, there's a crown. Do you believe that? Do you believe that his reward is worth the race? I think it's far more than we can measure or even imagine. I think what God has prepared for us is more than we can fathom. That's why he keeps saying, keep running. I've got something for you. It'll be worth it and then some. Verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Two things. I'll make you a pillar. Pillars don't move. And pillars don't get moved in the earthquake. And he said, you will not go out anymore, meaning you might have got put out of one place, but ain't nobody going to put you out of where I put you. They put you out, but with me you stay. For those who keep on, you'll be, a, you'll be a pillar in his temple. You will not go out, you will not be put out. You'll be a pillar. You know, today, if you Google ancient Philadelphia, one of, the, one of the images that will come up is, are these massive pillars that still remain in that city. At one time, they held up some sort of a ma- great and majestic basilica. That, that's all gone. But what's there, what remains, oh, man, you had an organ. What, what remains to this day are these massive pillars. Good luck moving those. Oh, maybe somebody could. But the idea, it's somewhat ironic. Of course, these pillars would have been in place after even what was written here. But here they are. When you, when you look up Philadelphia, there's these massive pillars, immovable, unmoved by time, by challenge, by tribulation, by testing. There they are. Unchanged, the storms of life, wars and rumors of wars and conflict and more earthquakes have come and gone, but there the pillars are. There's some of you that are like that right now. Life has happened to you more than once. But here you are. You know why? Because you're an overcomer. He's made you a pillar. He's put his name on you. And his promise is to keep you. And that promise is permanent and it's personal. This is what I believe he has to say to Heritage Church this morning. Simply two things as we close. He will keep you. He will keep you. Every generation, every church, and every place has faced trial and persecution. And I, I and if we understand Revelation rightly, it, what it seems to indicate is there, there you will yet come an even worse time before Christ returns. But here's what we know. The most important thing for the believer is this. He will keep you. He will keep you for eternity. He will keep you in eternity. He will keep you in tribulation. And he will keep you tomorrow. He will keep you. If he promises to keep us in the worst of possible circumstances, then he will keep us in the sort of rough and difficult times as well. If his promise extends to the ends of the earth, if his promise extends to keep you in the face of great tribulation, he will keep you when it's just been a tough day. 
He will keep you. He will keep you in hardship. He will keep you in trial. He will keep you in temptation. He will keep you when people accuse you or abuse you. He will keep you in setback or heartache. He will keep you in disappointment or disillusionment. And when people are mean and with li- when life hurts, he will keep you. And sometimes he keeps us from it. Sometimes he keeps us in it. But he will keep us. Therefore, you should keep on. You should keep on. You have one job. Let us hold fast to our confession. Hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to what you believe. Hold fast to your confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Be fervent and faithful. Don't let anyone or anything come between you and what Christ has called you to be and do. Not disappointment. Not discouragement. Not disinterest. Not discomfort. Not offense. Not hurt. Not entitlement, not death, not life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing can separate you or should separate you from the love of God, which is is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Keep on holding fast. Don't change the subject. Don't change the channel. Keep on holding fast. Keep on holding fast. Because he will keep you. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for the encouragement that we see in the the scriptures, Lord, to the church of Philadelphia. I thank you that you will keep us, that that is your promise. Lord, I pray that we would heed, heed these words today, that we should keep on holding fast. Lord, I pray for every person today that they would get, if they're out of the race, they'd get back in it. They'd stay in their lane and finish their course because it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Father, we give you thanks and praise today for your word. Let the blessing of the Lord be upon it and in our lives. In Christ's name. Everybody said amen. Amen. I got to turn you loose. There's people outside crowding in at the doors. Jesus didn't close those, so they'll come open up pretty soon. God bless you. Have a good Sunday. Thank you so much.